Welcome to ePod, a podcast from the UW-Madison's College of Engineering Interdisciplinary Professional Programs. These podcasts are focused on big ideas in engineering and the people behind them. My name is Justin Kyle Bush, and I'll be your host. On today's episode, Susan Ottman talks to Dr. Dan Negroot from the UW-Madison's Mechanical Engineering Department about his course, Computing Concepts for Applications in Engineering, the field of big data, and how simulation and modeling fits into the field of data analytics. Take it away, Susan. Dan, welcome. Dan, please give us a view of the Engineering Data Analytics Program. Well, Susan, first of all, thanks for, for extending the invitation. Great to, to be talking here with you. Um, so I've been with uh, the program for a number of years. And from uh, where, where I uh, sit, the way I look at it is just an opportunity for people who are interested in uh, learning more about data processing, about going from bits to insights. And when I say bits, I mean like bits as in, you know, a byte has eight bits on a computer. And um, you, have, you have basically a raw information uh, that, that starts with bits organized in bytes. And then from there, the question is, how do you extract value out of that? How do you get insights? How do you get information out of it? Knowledge, uh, wisdom. And at the end of the day, uh, this program is essentially trying to provide a holistic approach to this question of getting insights from data. And it emphasizes a couple of aspects that are, that are essential in this process. For instance, it starts with uh, providing the students some, helping them gain some knowledge about how to use computers. And then there's another course where they learn how to use computers to run fast. And then there's another course where they understand how to manipulate data, uh, forgetting for the time being of how you know the computing takes place under the hood. So there are various levels, and beyond you know these course courses, core courses, there are some other courses that complement the program that are not strictly tied to the core, but augment the set of skills that someone from industry perhaps needs to have to be successful in his or her job. I don't know if I. It's a, a fair answer, Susan, or do you have other more like specific questions? No, that was awesome. But let's dive a bit deeper and talk about your course in computing concepts for applications and engineering. What are the key learning outcomes for the students in this class? Okay, so, the, so as you mentioned, I teach two courses. This is the younger one. And in our, in our program is ME459. Uh, the older one, also, it's the, the, the more mature brother, this is ME759. So that one is more advanced. This one is kind of like a, the, a stepping stone for the more advanced one. But this, this class, when, when I set it up, and that was 2017, 2018, I asked myself the question like, okay, if I was a manager in industry, what would I like? a person who joins my team to know so that the person hits the ground running in terms of like programming and how computers work and, and, and things along the line. 
And by the way, I also had the selfish interest in setting up this class because I work in my lab with probably like 20 students. And also I, I, I have exactly the same set of needs. I'm to some extent, I'm, I'm running a small business and I'm trying to recruit students. And the question is like, when they join the lab, what do I want them to know so that they help help me and help the other people in the lab? So that was the kind of like the, the inspiration for this. So looking at the course, essentially this course helps people understand how computers work, what the computational landscape is out there and how they can leverage it. Uh, for instance, they learn about operating systems. They learn a little bit about programming with MATLAB, a little bit about programming with R, uh, about programming with Python. Then they learn about uh, how the computer works. For instance, we have an example at some point that shows that by literally changing two lines of code in a program, and I'm not exaggerating, two lines of code, all of a sudden the program runs 30 times faster. And they learn what triggers that sort of gap in performance and why that 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 works that way, the computer works that way. So they learn a little bit of the memory hierarchy, they little, learn a little bit about the caches that are present on a on a processor, they learn a little bit about parallel computing, just the like the introductory part of it, because the older brother is basically talking about the topic at great length. But here they also spend a little bit of time learning about, you know, going back to this idea of bits and bytes, they learn about how data and information is stored. And what sort of like, for instance, bit budget is associated with a certain way of storing data. For instance, if you have a lot of precision, certainly you need more bytes to store that information. Why would you spend more bytes? Doesn't make sense because you need to move them, you need to store them and so on. So it's essentially kind of like a, a collection of um, uh, concepts that, that are meant to provide a holistic image or picture to what computing means in industry. So that's basically the, the bottom line. 759, the older brother is taking a deeper dive and there is not as much as like a holistic view as much as how do we get this machine to run fast so that we crunch crunch the data fast and get information quickly out of it. Our program, which uh, we call internally MEDA, is unique and then that's looking at data through the lens of an engineer. You've been teaching the MEDA students for several years. How do they differ from the traditional on-campus master students? Well, very quickly, they come uh, to office hours more often than the face-to-face -face students. <laughs> so we have these online office hours and uh, um, they, 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 these folks are busy. And uh, also they've been out working in industry. Many of them have families. Um, so uh, they really need to get to the to the to the core of it quickly, um, and they have very good questions. They have very very uh, um, precise uh, precise uh, questions. They need to be answered fast. While people on campus, face to face, they have a network, and sometimes those questions they don't come knocking at my door to answer to have them answered, but they have a friend who takes the class or took the class and can answer the question or questions. Uh, so it's, it's, it's uh, going back to your question, it, it, they, they attend office hours more often than the face-to-face -face students. And as I said, they have a sense of urgency that I don't sense 
so much at the face-to-face units. And that's, again, it goes back to the age difference. They, they, these are people who are busy. They have jobs. They, they need things, you know, to get things done. Uh, so that's, that's a, uh, a difference. And one, probably one more. Um, I think that young people will go to school because kind of like, you know, that's the way things are supposed to happen. To some extent, like inertia, everybody's done that, so I'm doing it. But then there are these folks who go out in the industry, they work, and to come back, there's not inertia anymore. Uh, it's just probably the opposite of it. You know, the, 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 you have the, the wind in your face at that point. So you really have to be determined to come back. And when they do, these people, they really mean it and they want to get the most out of it. And as I said, it just goes back to the desire to acquire more information and a sense of urgency, which people probably when they are 20, they don't have that sense. <laughs> At least I didn't have it. <laughs> yeah, you know, that sense of urgency comes later when you have kids to take care of and deadlines, you know, to work against. Uh, and uh, yeah, so. I think some of the urgency is they, they're so interested in information, they want to apply it immediately. So that helps the learning process, but also puts, puts some pressure on the faculty. Big data has been a bit of a buzzword for the last several years. How do you see simulation as it relates to the field of big data? That's a great question. By the way, my background is in modeling and simulation. I, I, although I'm a mechanical engineer, probably I mis, I'm, I'm misplaced because all my work has to do with computers and trying to understand how simulation helps engineering. Probably there's a connection. But going back to, to big data and simulation. So if you think about like when you say big data, so that data should come from somewhere, right? And it can come, a lot of it actually comes from sensing. Right? You have all sorts of sensors. You have cameras or you have gauges. You have, you know, that, that's one, one source of a deluge of, of, of data. Uh, but then there is simulation, right? So uh, a project going on in the lab right now is tied to uh, the NASA 2023 mission. There's a Viper mission, Viper rover. It's supposed to go to the moon in two years to look for frozen water. Certainly they cannot go there, test the vehicle, come back, modify it, take it back to the moon, test it. Oh, this is not, this is not working well. So they use computer simulation and we are part of that That we're trying to use our software that we develop in the lab to, to assist the, the, the project. So there's a lot of information that is generated by running these codes. You run a simulation of the rover or you run a simulation and it's not the project going on in the lab. We, we are setting up this infrastructure to run simulations of autonomous vehicles, right? So you get lots of data, like the position of this vehicle, velocity, uh, the way it vibrates and on and on. And you want to process that. So that's how the simulation comes into play here in relation to, to big data. And again, it's just a matter of like, just reading the, the name there, big data. Yeah, data comes from measurements, but also comes from simulation these days, probably more, more so than you know, a couple of years ago. I definitely think simulation is speeding up the time to market for new products, as well as just opening up fields there was a lot of data when I was a young engineer, but we just didn't know what to do with all that data. So being able to use the data to simulate and not have so many iterations of a, a product design or as you talk, going to the moon really is uh, speeding up and helping industry. 
Totally, <laughs> totally, totally. I think that this trend, if anything, is going to become more pronounced because people understand that if you have the patience to set up a model uh, to, to digitize your design process, you can you can reap some benefits. Uh, you know, it, it's it's pretty clear that that's going to be the case. You hold a conference each fall that's open to our students, but features business and their application of data analytics. Please share with us the goals of the conference and one or two examples of the best practices that are shared across the industry at the event. Right. So every year we, well, every year, well, let me just take it back. Uh, nine years ago, we started to organize um, this meeting is called MAGIC. It comes from Machine Ground Interaction Consortium. And what we do in the lab, a lot of it has to do with uh, computer modeling and simulation of robots, autonomous vehicles, um, and, and the like. Um, and we, as a, as, as a lab, uh, whenever we get the project, it's part of our mission to disseminate the outcomes the research outcomes of that project. And this was back in the day thought as like the vehicle to do just that. And it started in the beginning, obviously small, but then over time uh, we just kept doing it and people kept coming. So uh, it was, at, uh, it's, I think that ninth or eighth edition uh, last year, we had more than 200 people uh, who virtually participated. Uh, we're organizing again in, in September and we already have a list of 22 people lined up to give talks. Uh, and these folks come from Intel, from University of California, Berkeley, uh, from Johns Hopkins, uh, from the European Space Agency um, and on and on. Um, and the idea was to uh, just bring these folks uh, from different companies in a pre-competitive environment just to talk with each other and talk with us because it's important in research, uh, in our mission to understand what their needs are and what the problems that they can solve look like so that we, so to speak, bark at the right tree as opposed to kind of like going on a tangent and solving problems that nobody cares about. Certainly, if you bake cookies, you want to bake cookies that somebody cares eating. So that's basically the, the, the gist of, of, of this meeting, uh, us listening to them and them listening to us and telling us that, yep, what you're doing is useful. And it grew to the point where, uh, honestly, people show up and sometimes they talk with each other and we're not part of the conversation anymore, which is, which is great. Uh, because as, as we said all along, we wanted this to be kind of like a forum uh, where people meet in a pre-competitive environment and just uh, learn from each other and together, you know, collectively advance the, the state of the art. So that's kind of like a quick overview uh, of what this meeting is all about. Peer-to-peer -peer learning is a key component for our students totally. in the um, engineering data analytics program. Our students are coming from a wide variety of companies. So when they're in classes and they're talking about applications or they're working on projects, they get to share those experiences and best practices. And I think that differentiates the program and really makes the student experience so much richer. Dan, can you give us a sneak preview to the new course that you're developing this summer? Right, so um, I have to, to 
it's a good opportunity to advertise another another educational initiative that I'm involved with. So it, Mira is part of like the, the distance learning, but now in the College of Engineering, we realized that modeling and simulation is becoming more prevalent. And we started what is called an accelerated program for uh, the face-to-face -face students um, to, to learn about modeling and simulation in one year and get a master's degree. So it's kind of like, uh, it's not for the uh, faint-hearted people to, to, to cram in one year the number of credits that you, you need to graduate, but there are people who just wanna get the information and move on to, to, to better things in life. So then we started this program and it's called uh, Accelerated Master of Engineering in Modeling uh, and Simulation. And part of this, um, this program, and also cross-listed cross with, with MIDA, uh, the distance learning program, is this new class that has to, the name of the class is uh, uh, Computer Modeling and Simulation for Autonomous Vehicles um, and Robots. And the idea is that there is, there is we, we came to, to, to learn this the hard way. There is a lot to be known about this. Um, how you, you simulate, for instance, autonomous vehicles. Because all along we thought that we, we were in the business of simulating vehicles. And we said like, okay, well, just it's one more word there, autonomous. Like how, how different can that be? And what difference does that make? Well, it turns out <laughs> it's quite different actually, because we quickly realized that when you have an autonomous vehicle, there's nobody to drive it. And supposedly there is some sort of like autonomy stack that tells the vehicle what to do. Hey, turn left, stop, accelerate, and, and so on. We never thought about that. So that needs some information. So what sort of information? Well, it needs sensor information, right? You don't have a driver, but the vehicle needs to understand the surrounding environment so that it stops if a pedestrian crosses the, the road or it turns left if the the road veers left and so on. So that means that all of a sudden, if you want to simulate this thing, you, you need to simulate also sensing. You need to, to in, in simulation, you need to provide the vehicle the information, the model, the, 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 the simulated vehicle, the information that an actual vehicle would have when it drives in a similar scenario, for instance. Let's say you know a, a, a car approaches a tree in the real world, right? And it has a camera. So then that camera registers a tree getting closer and closer to the vehicle, right? So if I want to simulate and test that the, the 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 autonomy stack is doing the right thing in simulation, then I have to have a tree in simulation, and I have to have a device that I slap on the vehicle model that perceives the tree and tells conveys the image of the tree to the autonomy stack so that the autonomy stack has the same perception of the virtual world as it did in the actual world. Because if it doesn't, then there's no point in doing it because you're not testing an autonomous vehicle, you're testing something else. So therefore, it, it, it gets like to be interestingly complicated because you have to simulate a radar, how it works. You have to simulate the LiDAR, the camera, the GPS, then you have to simulate the world in which this vehicle moves, right? In the past, like if, if I go to, to run a simulation, you know, related to Mars, I don't need, as soon as I have the, 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 the sand model and such, it's good enough. I don't need to understand that, hey, look, 300 yards from here, there's a hill. 
or I don't know, just like somebody is crossing the path on Mars. It's not, <laughs> not that going to, to happen. But when you have a vehicle, all of a sudden the world around you is extremely important, like, like a dusk, right? Or it, the sun sets and it just, it, it shines in the camera and you don't see, the camera doesn't see well, you know, or we have a LIDAR and the LIDAR, for instance, uh, works or doesn't work. What happens then? So all of these things become very important. So the course is about just the entire package, simulating the vehicle, simulating the robot, the, 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 the dynamics of this, but then they evolve in this world that also needs to be simulated. And also in addition to being simulated, it needs to be sensed and that needs to be faked slash simulated. I don't know, I don't wanna, you know, uh, use probably fake and simulate in the same sentence. It's not a good idea, but <laughs> to some extent it is the same thing. Anyway, so that's kind of like a, a, a sneak preview of the course. That's quite and by the way, by the way, we, we, we have zero slides thus far. It has to be taught in January. So I better kind of like switch gears here, do something about it. Yeah, quite a complex situation because before you were simulating, but now you're simulating the sensing in the environment and just um, adds to the dimension of simulations that's right. needed. Right. I'm sure the students are going to be quite interested in that class because it is really pushing the envelope of simulation. Before we go, um, is there anything else you'd like to tell our prospective students or anyone who's listening to this podcast more about advanced engineering simulation? Yeah, and the program, MIDA and the university, sure. First of all, don't, don't get turned off by my accent. Come and join us. You know, the other professors, they, their accent is much better than mine. And it, the, the joke that I make, I tell the students is like, by the way, the lectures are recorded, obviously. The students from industry, they cannot attend sometimes live these classes. So the, the lectures are recorded. And I tell them that I speak like that because if you play me fast at 1.5x the speed, then my accent goes away and my English gets perfect. So uh, seriously now, uh, this is, this is a great program um, and we would love to have you here um, if you're energetic and uh, are looking into um, improving your, your knowledge and insights in the area of uh, data analytics, big data, modeling and simulation. I think that uh, you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy the, the, the journey and looking beyond the classes that I'm teaching, um, there are a lot of like super nice and dedicated uh, folks who are involved with this program. And I think that uh, um, personally, I think that uh, would be a good investment of, 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 of your time. Thank you so much for your time today. I find your research fascinating and really believe that you're helping to move the world forward in the area of data, data analytics and simulation. <laughs> so fun being here with you and talking about this. You, it's great working with you and it's great being part of the program. Well, thank you. And we appreciate you taking the time and informing us on these uh, very interesting topics. Thank you for listening to ePod. For more episodes, visit interpro.wis.edu slash podcast. And if you enjoyed this, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share.